Welcome to the sermon podcast of Cedar Springs Presbyterian Church in Knoxville, Tennessee. Our mission is to respond to God's love by following Jesus and loving God, loving one another, and serving the world. If you're in Knoxville, we'd love for you to join us in person. In the meantime, enjoy this message from God's Word. Our gospel lesson is from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 6, verses 25 through 34. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air, neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to the span of his life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they they grow, they neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious by anything, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. It's the gospel of Christ. Thanks be to God. And our Old Testament passage and our sermon passage comes from Ecclesiastes chapter 3. If you're looking for Ecclesiastes, it's after Psalms and Proverbs in the Old Testament. For everything there is a season and a time for every matter under heaven, a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to pluck up what is planted, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to break down and a time to build up, a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance, a time to cast away stones and a time to gather stones together, a time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing, a time to seek and a time to lose, a time to keep and a time to cast away, a time to tear and a time to sow, a time to keep silence and a time to speak, time to love and a time to hate, a time for war and a time for peace. What gain is the worker from his toil? I've seen the business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. He's made everything beautiful in its time. Also, he's put eternity into man's heart, yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Father God, thank you for your word. Thank you for the truth of it. So, Father, I pray that your spirit would fall on us, that you would speak through this word. Father, I don't have anything worth saying, and you have the words of eternal life. So open our ears, our hearts, and our minds to what you have to say. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, For Christmas Eve, James had us thinking about Christmas music. I want us to think about Christmas movies. There's a big debate in the world over what are the best Christmas movies, and every family kind of has their own kind of go-to set of Christmas movies that they watch. And there's this great debate over movies that happen during Christmas. Are they Christmas movies? Like, I have people who argue that Die Hard is a Christmas movie. If you're one of those, I'm not, I'm not here to argue one side or the other. I have my own thoughts, but I've created a, a category for that called Christmas Adjacent. Like in a Christmas adjacent movie is a movie that has nothing to do with Christmas, but happens during Christmas time. But as you think about it, one of my favorite Christmas movies is A Christmas Story. I'm so thankful that TBS and TNT has decided to play it on a 24-hour loop. 
So I can just have it on in the background during Christmas and then pick up at different parts and places. You know, Ralphie's going to shoot his eye out. I know that a bunch of times. You know, the Scut Farkas incident, you know, when the tire blows. I mean, all those moments that you kind of, you don't have to watch the whole thing. You can kind of join in in the middle. But as people have tried to understand 2020 and to kind of term it and to kind of give it some kind of understanding, uh, people have tried all these different analogies. And I want to give you one more that probably doesn't fit perfectly, but it makes sense in my head. I think 2020 is like Aunt Clara. You're going, wait a minute, who is Aunt Clara? I don't remember Aunt Clara in A Christmas Story. Aunt Clara doesn't ever show up. She has no lines, but she has one of the most important parts in the movie because she gives Ralphie the pink bunny costume. That's Aunt Clara. There's that moment where mom is like, oh, Aunt Clara, she gives you some of the sweetest gifts. Go put it on. 2020 is like that. It's the thing that gives you gifts that you didn't really want and you can't really return. Because if it was, wouldn't we all go to the customer service with 2020 and go, yeah, this wasn't right. This is not what I ordered. This is not what I wanted, right? But we can't. That's not the option given to us. It's the great Aunt Clara who gives bad gifts. And one of the gifts that 2020 given us is terms. These are terms that we never used until this year, okay? Social distancing, oxymoron. How can you be social from a distance? But we say that all the time. Contact tracing. No one knew what that was until this year. Pandemic. It's a word. It's in the dictionary, but we never used it. Contactless delivery. I feel bad for the mail service. They've been doing this for years and got no credit for it. That's all that the mail does is contactless delivery. But now like Domino's and pizza and DoorDash is like, we're the first ones. Like, no, the mail. Flatten the curve. Nobody even knows how to do that. We think we do. We talk about it a lot. We don't even know. Mask mandate, that's a little too political. I'm not even going to go there this morning. But the idea that is a mandate for us to wear masks. Super spreader. I thought a super spreader was something you do when you're trying to reseed your yard. That's a super spreader. No, there's events that become super spreaders. These are my favorite. Shelter in place and safer at home. I still don't know what either one of those things mean. To this day, we're like, oh, shelter in place, like right here. Like if I hear it here, do I shelter here? What does that mean? Safer at home. Aren't I always safer at home? I mean, isn't that kind of typical to life? I'm not going to get in a car accident in my house, so I'm safer. And then, of course, just the good old Rona, you know. The things we've thought about. And this gift is given to us because these words we didn't use until this year. And I'll be happy if we don't use any of them ever again. But it got me to thinking about other phrases. Other phrases we just throw out in English. Here's just a handful of them. Put words in one's mouth, by the skin of your teeth, at their wit's end, a leopard can't change its spots, sour grapes, the writing's on the wall, go the extra mile, wolves and sheep's closing, the truth will set you free. And then of course, during this season, always better to give than receive. The funny thing about all these phrases, what they have in common is they're all from the Bible, direct quotes from the Bible. And most people don't know that. Some of those you might be like, oh yeah, I knew that one. I could give you hundreds more. Like it's funny, I had to pick out and it was really hard to pick and choose. But the Bible is the most quoted book in all of human history and most people quote it and don't even know that they are. It's just become part of our rhythm. It's become a part of who we are. It inspires things like songs and poems and movies, which gets us to our passage today. Some of you of a certain age 
Well, no, this passage was once upon a time set to music. If you know that, raise your hand. If you've heard the song, the name of the song is? Turn, turn, turn by? The birds. The birds. <laughs> That's the point I wasn't sure people were going to get. Very nicely done. This was put to music. The Bible sung on the radio. It was a very popular song. And this idea that this very attainable wisdom comes to us in certain ways that we don't even understand. We didn't even realize that we're being told truth. But I do think it's important for us to remember this morning how desperately we need truth. At the end of a year like this year, we need to be reminded of God this morning. Be reminded of what we'll talk about in a minute. We'll talk about his power, his purpose, and his permission for us. But first, the idea of Ecclesiastes. We need some context. It's not a book we read all the time. Written by Solomon, King Solomon, who was the richest man of his time and maybe ever, also the wisest man of his time. If you remember, when he became king, he, God comes to him and says, what would you like? He's like, I'm young. I don't know what I'm doing. I need wisdom. Give me wisdom on how to serve and how to lead these people. And he says, I'm going to give you wisdom, but I'm even going to give you what you didn't ask for. I'm going to give you riches. And you have to understand, he is the richest, wisest, best man of this time. He has attained everything any of us could ever want or dream. And he writes the book of Ecclesiastes. And you know what the theme is? Everything is meaningless. So it's a real pick-me-up. If like you, you're down today and you really want to get inspired, read the book of Ecclesiastes because he literally talks about everything is useless. Everything is meaningless. Everything is a vanity. Everything is like chasing after the wind. This guy who had it all goes, it's not worth it. If you're just trying to get things for their sake, it will never satisfy you. And he writes these words to the people of Israel for them to have and to understand. And he writes this specific section in this beautiful poetry. This idea and these, it's this parallel antithesis is what they call it, where you've got two things that are polar opposites of each other that show that it encompasses everything within so plant and pluck up, the idea of planting and harvest in that would mean watering and weeding and hoeing and sowing and all those things that start in the middle. And he gives us this picture to help us understand one thing. Though everything in this world is meaningless, God still gives it purpose. God is still the one who overarches all these things that gives its purpose. So what I want us to do this morning in just a few minutes is look at three things. God's power, God's purpose, and God's permission. Let's start with God's power, because in a year like this, when we're easily disillusioned by all that's happened, we need to remember who is in control of all things. It starts with God's power. He gives us this picture with this word time. If you notice the word time was used 29 times in the little bit that I read. Even a non-biblical scholar can say, hey, maybe that's important. Maybe we should look at that if he's saying that in there. And the word in the Septuagint, which was the Greek translation of the Old Testament, the word is not chronos, which we use as chronological. It's the normal word for time. It's named kairos, which meant special appointed time. It's what Jesus said when he was with the disciples that my time has not yet come. The appointed moment for me hasn't come yet. So he has hold of time. 
time belongs to him. He has a plan that cannot be thwarted for all of human history. He superintends it all. He has a unique plan for all of it. And there's that beauty in that, that someone is in charge, someone is in control of it, and it's God. There is a purpose and a time and a season for everything that happens under heaven. That God is powerful enough to make even the mundane things have purpose, which we'll talk about in a minute. But we can't miss out. We can't not see this clear power that God has, that he truly is in control of all of it. All that happens in our life is a part of his very well-appointed plan, and it has its own timing. Did you hear that? It has its own time. It has a time. Everything in your life was supposed to happen when it happened and happens when it's supposed to happen. And in some ways, that is the most frustrating thing, which means we have no control. But in some ways, it's the most freeing thing because we have no control. I don't have to try to manage controlling to make sure everything works in the way that I want it to because I can't do anything about it anyway. But then there comes the question, Andrew, what about the hard stuff? What about the frustrating and difficult things? What about the things that just don't make any sense to me? I mean, does God make all that happen too? Let's be reminded from scripture, God is holy. God is perfect. He is not the author of evil. He does not make bad things happen. But God is the originator of judo. If you've ever taken judo, I've never taken judo, but if you've ever taken judo before, judo is the art of using one's momentum against themselves. So judo is not an offensive thing. It's not like karate where you're going after people. You wait and they come and you flip it on them. God takes all the difficult and hard things and he flips them into good things. He flips them into beautiful things. He flips them into purposeful things. So then all the hard things have purpose and that gives us hope because otherwise, if there is no rhyme or reason, then a year like 2020 and a pandemic are without ability to be redeemed. It's just happenstance. It's just stuff that happens. It's just part of living in this world and there's nothing we can do about it and there's no greater reason for it. We as Christians have hope that there is something going on even in the most difficult things that happen in our lives. God is using them for a purpose. That's our second part. He's got a purpose in it. Romans 8 tells us what? God works all things together for the good of those who love him and who are called according to his purpose. Notice what he doesn't say. He doesn't say he gives only good things, but he takes all things and he works them for good. He switches and changes and moves them for good. He has a great purpose and everything that happens in your life and in my life has purpose, which means all the little mundane things actually matter. Whether you say hello or good morning to the person who checks you out from Kroger matters. Whether you're kind to your mailman when you see them matters. Whether you kiss your kids goodnight when you put them to bed matters. Whether you call someone who's a friend you haven't talked to in a long time matters. How you treat people that you don't even know matters. You going to a job every day and doing a task that you're like, I don't know, it matters. It's important. God has a purpose for it. God is using it in you and through you. And what's amazing is that purpose is so different than the rest of the world. 
Think about this for a second. Insects and animals, okay? They have life cycles. Humans have histories. And here's the difference. You can write a book about the life of a panda bear, right? Because basically all pandas' lives are basically the same. There's like zoo pandas and wild pandas. But okay, pandas grow up, they get big, they eat eucalyptus and they eat like bamboo. They hang around, you know, there was a Kung Fu panda, but beyond that, like the rest of them is a pretty normal life. So there's books on, if you want to study pandas, you can write a book and go, this is everything you ever need to know about pandas. You can't write a book about what it means to be a man or a woman. Because every part of our lives are so intricate. There's so many nuances. They're so complex. You couldn't write a book about one individual's life. There's too much. Too much. But God takes us as his image bearers and gives us purpose. He makes lives complex so that every part, every day, every moment, every word, every action matters. So we can no longer go, well, who cares? What we do has purpose. Let's look at this poem quickly and see how some of that plays out. There's purpose in the big events, birth and death. You don't get to control any of this. You didn't get to control when you were born. You didn't get to pick that day. Most of you don't remember that day. If you do remember that day, I'm not so sure you remember that day, but you've seen a video or something. And then death. Regardless of what's going on in the world, our days, according to the Psalms, have been appointed for us. They have been ordained. God knows the number of days you will live, and you can extend that by one day. No matter what you do, no matter how hard you try, no matter what kind of treatment, you can't do anything about it. Yet God uses these things. He uses our birth to create another image bearer to proclaim the gospel, and he uses our deaths. I have been to some of the most emotional and beautiful funerals where the gospel of Jesus Christ has been proclaimed by someone who died. What seems like the most difficult and senseless thing in the world, God redeems it and makes it into something beautiful. But don't forget that we have a God who weeps at death. Jesus at Lazarus' tomb doesn't rejoice like, oh, good, he's in heaven, he's now with God, this is gonna be great. He weeps with the people who weep. Because death is the most unnatural thing in the world. And you're thinking, wait a minute, Andrew, that's natural. It's part of it. Death taxes, right? When God created all things, death wasn't even a part of it. Death came in when sin came in. It's unnatural. That's why it's so hard for us. But God even takes that and redeems it and uses it. In the big events of our life, God creates and he uses. Not only that, but in the daily events and the things we do all the time, and you'll notice these pictures are most of everything we do is either creating or destroying something. Planting or plucking, killing or healing, breaking down, building up. That all of our lives in some ways are building something or breaking something. Even in ourselves, we're building something or breaking something. But these pictures are planting and then harvesting. That there is a set appointed time for that. You don't try to plant grass in December. Or as I found out, you don't try to plant grass in November very much either. We had some trees taken out, and so we needed to kind of put some new grass down. And I read every like book and article. I did all the things I was supposed to, okay? 
topsoil, the right kind of seed, watered it every day for three and a half weeks, and it is the patchiest grass you'll ever find in your life. We can do all the right things, but it's God's the one who's at work and making it into its purpose. This idea of kill and heal, it's what the people would do with their animals. They would kill them to eat, and sometimes they would heal them. Breaking down, building up. Think about in your own life. What are the ways with your words and with your actions, maybe even during Christmas, you've built up and broken down? But the fact that God has a purpose in all of this, he's got a purpose in every one of these activities. And his great purpose for them all is to glorify himself. And then at a secondary point for our good, he wants to bring glory to himself, even through the things you do every day that you think don't matter. And he uses those things to create purpose in you, to create encouragement in you, to give you a mission and to give you hope. Not only our daily activities and our emotions, to weep and laugh, to mourn and dance. So many of us try to distance ourselves from our emotions. There's something wrong with them. There's something bad about them. We certainly don't want to be ruled by them. And I think that's fair. We don't, we don't want our emotions to rule everything of who we are and what we do. But God has given us emotions. He has given us the opportunities to rejoice and be excited. And he's also given us the opportunities to cry and to weep, to mourn. And there's a time when that's important. And what does he do in those times that we weep? Corinthians tells us that we then get encouragement and we get comfort so that we might comfort others. God uses the very hard things in our lives that draw us to tears that we may be able to weep and cry with those when they experience it themselves. And he allows that to be okay. It's okay to be sad. It's okay to be happy. It's okay to be all those things in between. God uses that. He uses even the emotions he gives us for his glory. What's next? Our relationships this idea of casting away stones and gathering them together, embracing and refraining from embracing. This picture of is when they would plant a field, typically lots of times they would have others help them and they would pull the, the stones out of the field, especially in Jerusalem and Judah, very rocky place. There's also a time that you would gather those to build a wall, to build a house, to build a well, things that were for the good of everybody. That God longs for us to do so much of this in community. We're not meant to be by ourselves. We're meant to call others in. But he also has the purpose of embracing and refraining from embracing. Does that fit a little this year? I miss hugging people. I have a few people I can still hug and they will let me. I miss that. I miss high fives. I miss shaking hands. I miss so much of this interpersonal relationship. But God tells us there's even purpose when we refrain. There is purpose in us wearing masks to protect each other. There's purpose in us not having to hug each other and not being a part of those moments of life that we love so much. And part of that is it creates a longing in us, doesn't it? I've taken for granted hugging people until I can't hug people. Take for granted a lot of things until I couldn't do it anymore. I've taken, you know, I've taken for granted seeing people's faces and they're smiling and whether they're like responding or listening or whether they're yawning or falling asleep because I can't tell right now. I don't know. So much we've taken for granted, but God has a purpose, even in the refraining, even in the taking away of things because it makes us long for more. Next, 
our possessions. God has a purpose in our possessions. There's a time we seek and lose, a keep and cast away, tear. And so this idea of tearing is when they tear their clothes over their sin. God has a purpose even in the things you own. He's not saying don't own things. He's saying, I've got a purpose in them. I'm gonna use them for something. I've got a little bad news for y'all this morning. So you pray for the kids, I'm sorry. Your favorite Christmas gift is gonna get worn out. It's gonna break. It's gonna get lost or it's gonna have to be replaced. It's not gonna last. Whatever your favorite possession is here on earth, guess what? Its purpose at some time will be to go to the trash. That's his ultimate purpose. Sorry, if you've got a really nice car, it's where it's gonna end up. Really nice house, eventually it's not gonna be here anymore. When we get to heaven, we're not gonna miss those things. But when we have these possessions, let's keep them in perspective. We don't wanna upend our entire world because we lost something. We have to give away something. God uses even those possessions for the purpose that we might have our eyes focused on him and not focused on the things of this world that can't satisfy us. And next, the big decisions, the big parts of our lives. Start with like the big part, the big at the end. When to speak, when to not speak, when to love, when to hate, war, peace. That all of these things are part of lives and God has a purpose in them all. Saying, hate, whoa, whoa, God's a God of love. What could be the purpose in hate? For us to hate our sin? It's a great purpose in that. To look on it not as some little pet that we play with, but as something that we hate because we know how much it costs Jesus to get rid of it. In the end, there is great purpose. And I don't think it's by accident that he ends with peace, shalom. Most of all that happens in your life, the great purpose that God has in it is to make you uneasy to make you unsettled, to make you where you're no longer gonna want the things of this world because they don't satisfy us. We were made for more. We were made for a deep shalom. We were made for this wholeness and perfection and all is as it should be. And in this world, we get glimpses. Standing next to the Christmas tree, looking out over a white Christmas, which didn't 2020 owe us that at the very least. If nothing else, it owed us a white Christmas. And seeing my whole family there, it's a glimpse. It's a moment of all is as it should be. If you've been there at the birth of a child, there's something beautiful. It's all is as it should be. Even at a funeral of someone who deeply loved Jesus and was used by them, there's that moment of shalom. We get pictures and glimpses. But God's purpose in all these things is to create a great uneasiness in us that makes us long for more. Desire the peace that only he can give and the peace we will only find with him in heaven forever. And that gives us our permission. God gives us in this picture, the beautiful permission to not be in charge and to not be in control. He gives us these two, Solomon at the end gives these two things. Everything is beautiful in its time. And God has put eternity in the hearts of men. He says, everything is beautiful in its time. There's so often that we try to get things before it's time and they don't work and they don't satisfy. Students that are in here, I want to tell you this and you're not going to like it, but I don't really care. 
Sex outside of its time, sex not involved in marriage does not satisfy you. It is not in God's timing, his perfect timing. It will never work the way that you want it to. It's beautiful in the covenant of marriage together. That's when it works. That's how God designed it and created it. For those of us that are trying to go after the things of this world and not in its timing, I just want to remind you it won't work. You'll try and you'll try and you'll strive and you'll, and you'll try so hard for it. And in the end, you'll get it and it won't satisfy you at all. Because part of what's happened is God has put eternity in the hearts of people. We have a heart for something beyond this. We long for the things we can't even attain and touch. We want the whole plan before we do anything. We want God to just spell it out for us. When am I going to get married? When am I going to have kids? What's my next job? When am I going to die? Who am I going to lose along the way? What are the decisions I need to make? Tell it all to me now and I'll follow you. What did Jesus say to the disciples? Follow me. No explanation, no roadmap, no plan. Just follow. For us, it's the same call. Follow me. You don't have to worry about those things anymore. You don't have to be in control because guess what? You were never in control to begin with. So I want to give you permission to not worry about it. Giving you permission to trust. But I'm also giving you permission that it's okay. However you feel during the season, the funny thing is you talk to people on all sides. There are some people where 2020 has been one of the best years of their lives because they've gotten renewed vision for what life should look like. They've got to be freed from things, overworking, other stuff like that. They've got this margin in their life that they've always longed for. They've got to be with their families in a way they never anticipated. It has been such a beautiful year for them. And they feel guilty about that. It's been so hard on so many people. I feel bad. Guess what? There's a time to rejoice. There's a time to sing. There's a time to dance. There's a time for that. And if this is what you feel this season, that's okay. There's purpose in that. But for the rest of us, that this season has been so difficult and so draining and so exhausting and so sad and so hard, we as Christians sometimes don't want to show that. We want to put on the happy face. Everything's great. Everything is awesome. But God allows us to weep with those who weep. God allows for us to be these hard things because he's creating in us this vacuum that this world can't fill apart from him. And that's a beautiful gift indeed. So although 2020 is a lot like Aunt Clara, God has taken those gifts and he's given them purpose. He has given us space to think. He's given us a heart and desire for the things we've lost. There is nothing more beautiful to me now than this right here. In person, gathered together in worship is something I had taken for granted and I don't anymore. Any opportunity we get is such a sweet and holy moment. He has given us a dependence upon him 
that we no longer believe we have the illusion of control, but we need him. So in all this difficulty, all this hardship, all the day to day, God has done his grand purpose to bring glory to himself because it's turned our eyes off of ourselves and it's turned our eyes on to him who loves us, gave himself up for us, who died for us, that we don't have to be in control anymore. And he's put in us for our good, this heart and desire for more than this world has to offer because those things will never satisfy. This idea of what Augustine said, God, you've made us for yourselves and our hearts will find no rest until they find their rest in you. The restlessness that we have felt during this season is a God-given gift to make us long for him and to long for heaven in a new way. And the good news is he's given us not just the longing, but the access through Christ, whose death, whose resurrection, whose sacrifice allows us to be with him forever. That's God's grand purpose for all things, including the season. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for your great power. Thank you also for your purpose, that it shows your heart for us, your love for us, that you make all things purposeful and you make all things beautiful in their timing. Father, so thank you for that. Thank you for the permission we have to not be in control, the permission we have to be sad, to rejoice, because all these things you use for our good, for your glory, and to make us long for more of you and for heaven. So help us to do that. Change our hearts, wherever our hearts are this morning. Let us reflect on the goodness of your gospel and how it's changed us to be like you, to be your people. In Jesus' name, amen.